0: So uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew 18, uh, and you could also then turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Matthew 18, 1 Timothy um, chapter 5. What we're going to do, probably more briefly this morning, is just jump back into the series that we've been in uh, called A People of His Presence. This is kind of just our membership content that we're bringing everybody through. Uh, and so I'd want to do a little bit of review and then jump into um, our content this morning from Matthew chapter 18 and just a little bit from Matthew, or, uh, 1 Timothy 5. Uh, what we've covered so far in this series is we've asked the question, what is the church, right? Uh, the church, as we've seen, is the the blood-bought bride of Christ. It is, as we've defined it, it is all those from all time who by faith in God have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we talked about the different dimensions of that visible, invisible, local, global dimensions of the body of Christ. Uh, But we also then talked about how the body of Christ is defined according to a household. It's defined according to a temple or a bride. There's many different ways in which scripture will describe uh, the church, but as mercy gate, while all those other ways are important descriptions of the church, and we've kind of teased those out a little bit here and there, the way we understand ourselves as mercy gate is according to the, the imagery of a priesthood, The priesthood were those who tended to the presence of God. Our first and fundamental aim as a church is not about meeting the needs across the aisle, so to speak, although that's important. It's not about making this a nice place for us. It's not first and foremost about the The hot coffee and, you know, whatever little refreshments you got on a Sunday morning. All that is good and wonderful and let's enjoy it and give thanks to God for it. But we don't come here primarily for ourselves or for that stuff. We come here for him. And if we get that out of order, we are going to be what many churches become. Dead hollow, or as Jesus would say to the real, you're whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, you got death on the inside. You're missing the substance, the one who is life and life in abundance. He's the one that as we gather here, we by faith recognize his presence. And we talked about all the ways in which he will manifest his presence in our midst. And so there's a lot of expectation it's not just, well, I get a little coffee and this or that. It's not even, man, I, got to see, I get to see my friends. It's there is something unique that God has determined to do as his people gather together. He has determined that this would be the unique place where, remember, he would reveal himself. Clark Kent, Superman, stuff, right? Pulling back the veil on who he is for the good of his people. This is what he does. This is this is this is why we sing. This is why, even this morning, we slow down. It's like we we gotta slow down enough. It's not all about just jet We're, the music is not for your emotions first. You know that? I don't what we do here, I don't even care if you're like, I like that or not like that. We we care that he would like it. Will this please him? then let's sing it, right? It's about him. What is his preference? And of course, our, our culture and context will be a part of that. But it's first and foremost about him. As Mercy Gate, we want to see ourselves as a priesthood whose fundamental aim is just to minister to him. right? Now as we considered that... Um, we also then went on to talk about our relational commitments to one another. If we are a priesthood, or in other ways that the church is described, we are his body, that means that there's gonna need to be some relational commitments to one another. And of course, the fundamental like relational commitment is to Jesus, right? We're all here because we follow him. We're all here because we're saying, I need to die to Dan In order to follow after Jesus. This is the great exchange, if you remember, of the gospel. It's all of me for all of him, right? And so, when it comes down to it, that's a really bad exchange for him. That's a really good exchange. What's up, man? That's a really good exchange for us. We get him. He gets broken down, sinful Dan. And I get king of kings and lord of lords. Right? That's a good exchange. I'll take that any day. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood you shed upon Calvary, that you would take old sinful Dan and make me into one who now is the dwelling place of Christ. So with Paul, I can say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. That's the exchange. But we know good old broken Dan still lives, doesn't he? And i got to keep crucifying him. Jesus, give me grace again this morning as we gather in your people that I, Dan, would be thrown upon that altar of sacrifice. And all the ways that then, this next week, I'll try to just kind of crawl off, sneak off the altar. It's to be brought back on. Lord, all of me for all of you. All of me for all of you. This is where the Christian journey begins. This is the fundamental relational covenant or commitment that we have. We're following after Jesus, dying to ourselves that we might live unto him. But then the second, this is all review, remember, the second relationship that we need to stay committed to or see ourselves as being committed to is this church family, right? We need to see ourselves not merely as individuals that follow after Christ, but a family that is following after Christ. If we are saved to Jesus, we must necessarily therefore be saved to his community, to his family. As scripture would outline, he didn't didn't just merely come for individuals. He came to establish one bride. Not many brides, one bride. One church, one people, or as Ephesians says, one new humanity. You're not supposed to be seen as just a lone ranger out on your own. You're you're to be in community, and as we talked about last week, that's part of how we grow. It's part of how the stuff in our hearts gets exposed. I need you, you need me, so that our hearts, in all the ways in which we hide old Dan, right, I need to be in relationship with you so that stuff gets exposed. All right, there's good old Dan. He's coming out, right? And now that needs to die upon the altar that Christ might live in me. This is how uh, community is to function, both for our encouragement and for our correction. We are to see ourselves as family, those who must necessarily be saved to Christ, but be saved into his community. So, simply understood, our commitments to one another then demands, Philippians 2, mutual humility towards one another. And that mutual humility then needs to embody itself in active participation and service and care for one another. Simply... Uh, to perhaps to repeat, actually, from last week. The church community can't get the leftovers of your life. If you you think about it more simply, you know, we have the great commandment of loving God and loving our neighbor. Uh, Part of that love, then extended to neighbor, involves the church community. Love takes time. You can't hurry love. There is no like quick and easy, let's like, uh, fast forward the love process. Y- you can't. Love has to have priority. It has to carry intention. It will inevitably be sacrificial. And part of that sacrifice is time. There's a rearranging life that is necessary to truly be committed to one another. It can't just be the leftovers, the margin. I can't just run my week, exhausted as I might be with all of the seemingly necessary things of life to then come into this context exhausted on E and all I have to give away, well, is fumes. Now most of us come in that way, myself included. I'm coming in weak this morning. (laughs) James and I are just like, man, we're barely getting by this morning. and, and part of that's going to be the process. I need to be refueled, so I'm coming in. I know where I know where the oil is, and I got to get more oil this morning. Uh, but it also means that we have to think about like skimming down the margins of our lives, even if those are good things that we're doing. L- learn your your limitations, so to speak, as individuals. So that you can have margin, yes, for personal devotion to the Lord, but then also devotion to his people. This is the second kind of relational commitment that we are to be aware of as those who are considering membership. First to Christ, then to one another. Finally, then uh, again in review, final layer of relational commitment is that to the pastor's. And again, as James said, this is always awkward to say, but Hebrews 13 makes it quite clear. Obey your leaders. That's not naivety, by the way. That's whatever they say goes. It's to be discerning. Are they leading according to scripture? And if they are, if they are leading as those who are being led by Christ himself, then obey them. That's the idea. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who must give an account. I one day will stand before Jesus for you by name. So suddenly that takes on a, uh, a depth of seriousness to what we're doing. Right? When we say, yeah, we're, we're doing this together. Mercy Gate, local expression of the church. Okay, we're doing this together. i got to stand before Jesus for you by name. That's a sober reality. And, and by the way, I would encourage you, um, when it comes to those who are pastors, we, we, gotta, we live in a just weird culture, don't we? Where any like, uh, individual who can figure out how to get a YouTube channel together can like, be a self-proclaimed pastor. It is the weirdest thing ever. And so you got every kind of weirdo on YouTube saying, I'm a pastor, I'm a prophet, I'm this, I'm that, and it's awful, <laughs> because here's, here's at least what we understand from Scripture that pastors are. They're called gifted and qualified individuals, called by God, gifted by God, and qualified even by His grace. Right? But even so, those who are called, gifted, and qualified by God are confirmed by the local church. That's the New Testament pattern. You don't just have any random person who can put a YouTube channel, I'm a pastor. No, you're not a pastor. Right? There are no self-proclaimed pastors. You need a covering. You need someone else, a, a, a community of others who's seen your life and say, yep, we can attest to the fact this individual is called, gifted, and qualified. Don't just follow any voice That's out there in the blogosphere, YouTube-sphere, whatever sphere it might be. Don't just pick up any book. Well, it was written by a pastor. Don't do that. You'll end up with all kinds of mess, 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 and confusion. The reality is, is when it comes to the church and when it comes to who Jesus is and following after him and all this kind of stuff, there's a real enemy that's out there who loves to confuse things. And he'll even use people who say, yeah, I'm a pastor, yeah, I'm a prophet, to confuse you. Mm -hmm. Make sure whoever you're listening to has something of a covering with a local body of individuals, Mm -hmm. right, who love Jesus, who love his word and are serious about these things. So, those are the three commitments. I'm going way longer than I should on all this review. Our fundamental relational commitment to Jesus, then to one another, and yes, of course, then to the leadership of the pastors on the ground. But here's the question that I want to cover this morning, and that is this. What happens when God's people or God's leaders refuse to submit to Jesus? Uh, what happens when things aren't going so well? Right. On, on one hand, if we think ourselves as a priesthood, our main aim is to minister to the Lord, to make this place a pleasing place for him to dwell. If, if that's kind of our fundamental aim, and 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 the way then we protect his place among us is first through our relational commitments. You see? we minister to him by actually making sure that our relational commitments are in standing. But then when those relational commitments are off, we need ways in which to bring correction to those. So once again, the aim isn't just so we are good with one another. The aim is so this is a pleasing place for God to dwell. I don't want the Holy Spirit stepping into our gathering when there's relational problems happening and there's failings and sin in the camp and, and, and there's a mess. Ma- he's not pleased to come here. He's grieved. When he is the one who's gone to Calvary for you, he's purchased you by his blood and then we come tromping in here just tromping on the blood. Not even caring for the things that I gave myself to this past week or the relationships that I'm just gonna continue to kind of like push people away in different ways or look down on them or however it might be. This place is his place, right? And so we protect that place, yes, through our relational commitments to one another, but when those relationships go wrong, what God has also given us is relational correction. We get to tend to his place, making sure that this is a pleasing place for him to dwell through relational correction. So, just gain the implications of that. The church ain't a perfect place, number one. All right, and just, we can say that these are not going to be perfect relations. We got we got a lot of work to do together, All right? So, so it's not just oh, you know, they, well they sing the songs I like and they you know, the pastor's a little humorous or whatever. Whatever it fits you, like, those aren't the things that we need to be thinking about when we come to church. It's like, can I be committed to these relationships? Can I be given to these relationships? And and don't think, don't think, well, can I be committed to these relationships in my own strength? That ain't gonna last very long. (laughs) Do I have faith? that God is going to grant me the grace to be in relationship with one another? Do I trust that he's going to come through for us in relationship to one another? So as a church, we are not perfected. If we could say it this way, it's a theological category. We live in the already not yet, right? Right? we are saved but we are being saved and one day we will fully be saved this the presence of sin itself will be done away with and Christ will rule and reign and we won't have all the mess to deal with hallelujah <laughs> can't wait for that one day but until then even though we are believers in Christ even though we are sons and daughters of the living god even though that might be the case we are still imperfect Remaining sin is still at work. We have an enemy, both without and within, who's doing different things in order to confuse us as kind of the lamppost of Christ. So it's important that we would understand just how to bring correction to relationships. And and maybe uh, in one way to illustrate this, um, it's like in-flight instructions. You know, it's kind of like, let's just get off the ground and you have to sit there for another whatever, 20 minutes, half hour as they're doing all their stuff. And they finally go through the process, the in-flight instructions of telling you, if this thing goes down, here's what you're supposed to do, right? And most people during that time are either, if it's the first flight, they're freaking out. We're going to die on this thing. This is not helpful. Or, you know, it's the person who's been flying for most of their life, and they got their ear pods in already. And they're not giving any attention to the needs that may, could, potentially arise. On one hand, as we go through some of this, I don't want you to be um, freaking out. Who builds his church? Jesus. This is his church. The church, we know, will not ultimately crash and burn. It, this thing, this plane can't go down, ultimately. It can go through some problems, yes, but it can't go down. Christ is building his church. He is sustaining his church, and he will see his church through. Right? So, there's hope there. Uh, but if you're like, man, I've been through this, like, I don't know how many times I've been a Christian. I've heard, you know, what church discipline and all the, that corrective stuff is. And so I'm, I got my ear pods in. Don't do that either. Don't do that. We need refreshers because the responsibility of these things rests on us. If you've ever been on, on a flight and you've gotten the exit seat, right? And, and the, you know, the attendant is coming through. Are you willing to go through all, you know, open up the door in case of emergency? right? You got to be that person as a member of the church who is saying, yes, I'm willing to sit here. I'm willing to take the position to open the door, so to speak, should we run into issues. The responsibility rests on us. I'll say this, it's not on me and James. That's oftentimes when problems are brought to us, what are we telling you to do? Well, you need to go first to that person, you don't even need to come to us right now. You need to go have a personal conversation, and we'll see why in just a moment. Right? There's responsibility that you carry individually and then that we will carry together in seeing correction brought to some of the problems of relationship that inevitably arise within the church. So let's look to Matthew chapter 18 Uh, verses 15 through 20 is the familiar passage. What I want to do before just diving in there is quickly show you the context. The context is going to inform the text, right? So we want to make sure we know what's happening around the text so we can rightly interpret the text. And so even as Matthew 18 opens up, what we are brought into is a bit of a skirmish between all the disciples. Once again, This is what community is intended to do. The disciples are saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus has to argue them away from that. Like, no, 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 no. We're not doing this. You're thinking fleshly. But to the point, if James and John and Peter and these guys wouldn't have followed Christ in the first place, if when Jesus says, follow me, and they're like, nah, we got some fishing to do, and they just would have stayed home. If they would have stayed home, they wouldn't be in this moment. And that's the point. This is what community does. Community can be an incredible grace and encouragement to us, but what community inevitably does is bring all the junk to the surface. And in this case, it's doing that. As chapter 18 opens, here are the disciples. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And calling to him a child, Jesus put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. All right. Make sure humility is functioning in relationship to one another. But this is the beauty of the community. We inevitably will have the junk of our hearts brought to the surface in relationship to one another. But as it goes on, verse 7, and more specifically into verse 8, what else is is being talked about? Uh, Maybe if we can summarize it, it's this. If we aren't killing sin, sin will be killing us. Yes. So verse 8, Jesus gets very serious about dealing with sin. Uh, He even says to cut off your hand if it offends you. Like Jesus, come on, settle down a little bit, right? No, he's bringing sobriety to the moment. Like, get get active and maybe even a little extreme in fighting sin. For the issues, I'm just going to be straight with us, for the issues that we've faced in the last two years, that's been the problem. I'm sorry about my sin. I weep over my sin. But when it comes to doing active even perhaps extreme things to fight my sin, no, that's where I stop. Folks, that is why this is so important. This is is what we are to be about. Sin isn't supposed to be this thing that we're just kind of okay with. Ah, this is no big deal. Jesus is saying, no, if even your hand offends you, it's better for you to enter life crippled then, if I could say it this way, then to deny your very salvation. To hang on to sin unattended is to actually deny the very salvation that you know in Jesus. We come together, we sing about our salvation, confess our salvation, give praise to Jesus who saved us. And yet, throughout the week, we're holding on to things, giving no attention to them, just allowing them to exist, which by definition is we come here and say one thing, we go out there and do another thing. We deny our very salvation. And let that fall on your heart, knowing that there is a world of grace and mercy from the Good Shepherd to you, who wants to bring you through that stuff. So, there it is. Community is going to bring this stuff out of us. If, if we aren't killing sin, man, sin's going to be killing us. But then look down to verse 15, again, just gaining some context we see something of the Father's heart. He's the one who will leave the 99 and seek out the one. What a God. What a God. That he is willing to go the distance, to bring the straying one, the wandering one, home. And verse 14, it says, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. That's his heart. But then if you look just a little bit further in verse 21, on the back end of the context, we, we find that we are to be a forgiving people. Right? We are to be a forgiving people. In verse 21, Peter comes up to Jesus. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. All right, so take the context. Community is going to bring junk out of us, all right? Uh, and, and then, man, there's a sobriety to the reality of sin. We gots to be killing the sin the community brings out of us. But then there is the Father's heart who is eager. He's involved in all of this. He's the one actually bringing stuff to the, to the surface so that he can bring healing and grace to that and so that we might participate in forgiveness toward one another so that we could actually be a stand-in with the Father himself who says, child, you're forgiven. Which gives us no room to kind of be judges on our own, to stand in our own self-righteousness and say, oh, this is going wrong and that's going wrong. No, no, no. Your responsibility is to keep in step with the Father who leaves the 99 to seek out the one and who extends incredible forgiveness 70 times, 7. Don't you know it yourself? (laughs) how many times has the father said, I got you, child. Because of the blood of Christ, you're forgiven. It's his heart that we are to carry in these matters. It's his heart that then informs the steps of verses 15 through 20. So let's look at them having recognized the context. Once again, when things go wrong, relationally, whether it's a member, whether it's a a pastor even, uh, what are we to do? Well, Jesus actually borrows from Deuteronomy 19. This is Old Testament law kind of stuff. This is long-standing stuff. It's not just Jesus coming up with an idea in the moment. This is part of God's word, part of God's law. And so look at verse 15. It states this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother so if you are aware of another sin or you've been sinned against what do you do go to them you don't sit and you don't brew over it you don't go and tell all your friends about it uh you, you, you don't even just kind of let it slip by for any of you who are more passive in your personality. Uh, you don't also then say, oh, he's doing it. Eh, might as well do it myself. You don't participate in it. Here's what you do. You go to your brother. Will this be an easy process? Do you like going to your brother or sister when there's something hard to say? No. Scary, right. This will not be easy. This will not be comfortable. And in that, we should just kind of say it while it's there. Stop looking for a comfortable community. It doesn't exist, for one, right? It doesn't exist because our responsibilities from Christ himself says, if your brother sins against you or you're aware of sin at work in his or her life for that matter, it is your responsibility to go to them, to lovingly, as we talked about last week, speak the truth in love. What is the truth? Do you remember from last week? Maybe I should say, who is the truth? Ephesians, Jesus. We're speaking Jesus to one another. Maybe if someone's in sin, the whole point is not to just get all moralistic on them. It's to say, remember your Jesus, what he came for, what he did for you, that you are no longer that, so don't live like it. Live like a follower of Jesus. There's grace, there's mercy, there's help for you from Jesus. Speak Jesus to them in love. If your brother sins against you, go to him. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained your brother. There's step one. But then verse 15 goes on, and should your brother listen, should he repent? You've gained your brother, but then verse 16, sorry. Step two, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you perhaps have given it some time. You've confronted first, and now you've given it some time to see change possibly take place, but there's still resistance Uh, To that, well, now you're bringing one or two others with you to confront the erring brother. Um, They don't necessarily have to be witnesses of the actual offense themselves, but they are witnesses to kind of the confrontation to the things that are happening in the moment. This, again, is representative of the father's eager and active efforts to see the wandering child come home. He's deploying his people to rescue the one. The church is to put on the Father's heart to display love and compassion, to see rescue happen for the one who is wandering. We get, if you could say it this way, to enact the Father's purposes. He wants to use us to demonstrate his heart, when there is a wandering brother or sister. Now, if there is still uh, resistance to the two or three that come and uh, confront the individual, then verse 17, it is to be told to the church. It's simply to say this, what was informal and largely private in the first two steps is now formal and public in the third step. Uh, most likely it's assumed that the the matter is brought to the pastors and the pastors then bring it before the church. Um, Like some of you had mentioned at one time, it's an all-hands-on-deck experience. Where the responsibility doesn't just exist with the individual who goes and confronts or the two or three that go and confront, but now the responsibility rests upon the church body itself. To say that in all our praying and interceding, we must be bringing this brother or sister before the throne of grace, and we must, as the Lord gives opportunity, be seeking to to confront this individual to see him brought back into the fold. It's now upon us. Again, as we're bearing the Father's heart, as we're leaning on his grace and mercy ourselves, to be those who then are extending grace and mercy and bringing confrontation to that one who is wandering, it's now all hands on deck kind of experience. Together, we function to see this wandering child brought home. Uh, finally then, If if he refuses to listen even to the church, and you'd assume there's some time given to this process, if he he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you a Gentile and a tax collector. This is simply to say that the church is to remove this person from its fellowship. He is to be considered, and this is the wording here, Gentile and tax collector, as a rebel. He's a rebel to Christ. And that's the idea of letting him be that Gentile, that tax collector, that one who is resisting Jesus. Um, and this removal of membership um, actually isn't to be seen then in, as an end in itself. The goal of church discipline, the goal of the fourth step, as we've talked about in the past, isn't just to see a person removed. Oh, well, they're not cooperating with Jesus. They're not cooperating with us. Well, we're just going to cut them off. That's not the point. Even as 1 Corinthians 5 would state, it was Paul who's exhorting the church in Corinth, an individual in grievous sin, sexual sin. And he tells the church in Corinth to give this individual over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that he might be saved on the day of the Lord. So, Remove this per give him over to Satan. (laughs) That's where you start to tremble, right? Holy moly, like really? Like this is something? Yes, it's something. We give this person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that they might taste the consequences of their own sin. So that they might taste the consequences of their own rebellion and in tasting the consequences of their own rebellion say... Oh, I need Jesus. Oh, I need rescue. Oh, I need the church. I need all the many graces that are found within his body, right? So that they'd be wakened up and, as Paul says, saved on that day of judgment, right? So, even in this context, to treat someone like a Gentile or tax collector isn't to treat them bad, rough, self-righteous. It's to recognize they're resisting. They're a rebel to Jesus right now. They're demonstrating it by their life and activity. And therefore, what we're going to do is we're going to remove them from membership. We're going to give them over to actually what they want. They're resisting him. So we're going to give them over to that resistance and all the consequences that therein is found so that their eyes would be open. So that their eyes would be their need for their need for Jesus. Don't I need the tender compassion of the Father? Don't I need that life and life in abundance that is found nowhere but in Christ? I must know him. That's the whole point. So the hope, even in removing an individual, is to rescue the individual. Do You catch it? It's Scripture's way of tough love. So, in summary, we're about done. It's our role as members to first lovingly confront an erring individual. Second, to bring one or two others to confront them, should they not repent. And third, to bring to the pastors, bring the matter to the pastors, so that the church might collectively confront them. And fourth, uh, should it come to this point, that is to remove them, that they might be rescued. This is what is expected of us as church members, All right, This is why we have a membership class, so you know what the heck is going on, <laughs> right? You know your responsibility to one another and, of course, ultimately to Christ. Now, briefly, just to, to tag on this, what about pastors? What if one of us is off? What if you just see some things happening and you're like, man, this does not seem right. This does not seem like it honors Christ. This is not something that a pastor should be doing, right? What do you do if it's us that is off? Well, uh, maybe you still, you probably don't have your fingers still in 1 Timothy 5. Turn there real briefly. 1 Timothy 5, it gets at this particular issue directly. What we find in 1 Timothy 5, similar process to what we just read in Matthew 18, uh, but in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 5, it states this: Do not admit a charge against an elder or a pastor except on the evidence or two or, or three witnesses. So, in other words, a charge doesn't even get heard until it's substantiated by multiple people or multiple witnesses. Make sense? And why is that? Well, because pastors are going to be more public figures and they're going to be probably more given to different levels of slander. And so it's important that it's not just every accusation that, or every charge that's taken in, but it, it needs to have a few witnesses. It needs to have some clear evidence to it before it's even considered. So that's the one kind of guard that pastors have as it relates to some of these charges. Um, but should that evidence be brought, right? Verse 20, it states this As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. All right? So the idea is this should This individual who was a pastor, notice he actually isn't referred to as a pastor anymore. Should this individual who was a pastor, should he persist in sin, it's only then that the private matter would become a public matter, that the pastoral team would take up the responsibility to publicly rebuke this individual. So once again, all might stand in fear. That there would be a certain sobriety and seriousness to sin within the church. And it's assumed that as the church would call this person to repentance, that there would as well be a final decision, perhaps even to remove him uh, from membership, similar to the process outlined in Matthew 18. Does that make sense? So 1 Timothy 5 is like a little addendum so to speak, to the Matthew 18 as it relates to pastors. And the one caveat is make sure there's evidence established so that it's not just any joker, you know, slandering the pastor who's wasting the time of, uh, of, of the congregation, so to speak, right? So that there's got to be witnesses, there's got to be evidence brought, then it can be considered, and then you more or less are going through a similar process to Matthew 18. So if you see James and I, this is part of our commitment to you. We want you to have enough eyes upon our lives such that if there's something that we're not dealing with, you can come and confront us personally. Hey, this is, this is off. Or if it's so significant that it's like, man, I'm not going directly. This, this, is, this is a bigger matter than that. It's to be brought to the pastoral team. Now, you're like, but you got a small pastoral team. What if, what if both of us are conspiring in something that ain't right, all right? There's a third tier that you have the opportunity, and this, this is where, in a lot of this stuff, from church to church, there's different structures, and that's okay. Jesus didn't be like, he didn't give us a book of church order, like, to go by, or otherwise the Bible would be, like, yay thick, right? You know, and who wants that? Uh, I can't, to be honest with you, I can't stand all that detailed stuff. It's just like, just give me straight, simple stuff. Uh, But what Jesus has done is given us flexibility from church to church to kind of deal uh, with kind of what would be the kind of open-ended processes. And in our context, we're in partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches. Uh, And part of that context is that at any point, you, if you see us, together failing, or if we have failed to rightly execute a church discipline process, and maybe you're that person, and you're like, I didn't get a fair shake in all of this. They're seeing things, the pastors are seeing things wrongly, and moving things along unnecessarily. I, I don't feel like I have a voice at this point, so, so catch it. If we're off, and you don't feel like you've been given a, a fair shake within the church, you can go directly to our regional leader send an email to them, and that gets the ball rolling. Boom. Where then we are brought into actually a judicial review. <laughs> and the matters that are happening are then tended to by eyes outside. Right? That's our part of our partnership together with Sovereign Grace. It's a voluntary partnership. Do you know that Like our denomination can't come in and shut our building down? Our denomination can't come in and just move me or James to like Timbuktu to pastor somewhere else. They can't just take the money, right? That, that's not the way our denomination functions. Our denomination is a, it's a voluntary partnership. And the only then true authority that that denomination has with us is first in ordination. Ordination of pastors, as you guys would have seen a few years ago. As, as James stepped into pastoring, there was several representative, representatives from our denomination who come. Because they... We're a part of his process of evaluating him. And so that's what we're saying. We want your eyes in on our process of seeing pastors raised up. The other aspect that they have a level of authority on the ground here is if we would decide to plant a church with sovereign grace. They would be in the process of that. And now finally, as it relates to issues where you say the pastors aren't doing well whether you see sin in our lives or whether you see us handling matters in a wrong way, you can email the regional leader and that kicks off a whole process where we will be reviewed. By the way, we want that. That's not like, oh no, I hope people don't do that. It's like, we're agreeing as a church, as members, as pastors, that you are going to do that should you ever see us out of line. That's what we want from you. You are holding us accountable. You are guarding our steps. You are guarding our hearts. This is a mutual endeavor. So don't ever think that we stand on so high a platform that we could never be questioned. Don't think that, right? There are ways in which our partnership protects process protects us so uh, what we will be doing is actually giving you the membership notes at the end of this series and part of that will be our regional leaders email address and (laughs) you might already have it yeah and and so that is you if you see things out of line that's where you go okay make sense all right so this is all the process once again I'm gonna close by this by saying this this is all a process in which we get to step in to the father's purposes. We get to carry something of his heart for his people. We get to be the ones, yes, who carry I know it's not always easy and it's not pleasant by any means, but we get to carry something of his heart and seeing the one brought back in. And that's something We get to be the ones who share then in the Father's forgiveness as that individual is restored to the body. Right? We get to collectively share in the Father's heart together. That's a beautiful thing. This should not just seem like kind of harsh, kind of point by point, uh, you know, it, it should not feel like in flight instructions, right? It should feel like something of an invitation that the Father is saying, "All right, church family, come cooperate me, with me in seeing rescue brought to any who may wander." That's amazing, and that He would join us in to His purposes in that way. May he give us the grace, the mercy to do just that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your church, Jesus. Thank you for the blood that has been shed, that you would bring us near and in yourself create a new humanity. Uh, Lord, we bless your purposes with in the church. We bless even Father your, your sovereign purposes that you would gift the Son a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That you would give him the church. How holy, how sacred, how wonderful is your church. And Father, we thank you that you would then open up a way for us to participate with you in bringing protection to the wandering soul. But also, Lord, that we would maintain this place as a pleasing place for you to dwell That this would be a holy and sacred space where you're like, yep, I love to be with my people. For any who wander, Lord, that your heart of compassion would pulse through us to then see that person brought near. Bless us, give us strength and wisdom to uphold your purposes again, so that you, Lord, are pleased to dwell in our midst. We thank you. We honor you. We praise you. You are a good God. Lord, I pray even more specifically within this neighborhood again, Lord, that you would just bless your church. Bless your church. Bless your church. Bless your church so that your church might be a blessing. It might shine bright in a dark area. Amen. Lord, even beyond what we've talked about, Lord, I pray for revival. I pray for a harvest. I pray, Lord, that you would just surprise us. (laughs) Surprise us with many who find themselves to the doors of our churches in this neighborhood say I've encountered something of Jesus maybe through the gospel proclaimed maybe through just encountering the man in white and visions and dreams Lord maybe it's just in desperation that folks are saying I've had enough of doing life my own way Lord bring folks to the end of themselves or bring folks to their knees let 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 a spirit of repentance even sweep through this neighborhood let it be that we're just not good even with the respectable sins that we kind of carry in our own lives that there's There's no kind of leaving the shadow spaces of our souls to just be unattended. Lord, we're bringing these things to you and saying, Lord, have your way, have your way, have your way. Glorify your name through your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated of the world that discipline is wrong.